Are you thinking, is this it? Waking up in the morning and ugh, I have to go to work? When is it going to end? If you ever wonder why we ask questions during our podcasts. Nah, you just listen for the free tips. We ask questions for you to get coaching without paying the expense of a private coach and for you to get help right away because the world needs you to be better. And now it's even easier for you to get the inspiration you need to make your life and relationships meaningful with the Building Better Relationship Journal and Meditation your personal coaching journal that finds the gold in you that makes life joyful and, yes, worth getting out of bed every morning, along with the Building Better Relationships meditation that attracts the energy and love you want in your life. What are you waiting for? Yeah, baby, this is it. Live love now. To learn more and to purchase the Building Better Relationships at Home and Work Journal and Meditation, go to https colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly forward slash bbr journal. That's https colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly forward slash bbr journal. You can find the link in the show notes. Welcome to Building Better Relationships at Home and at Work with Angela and Patty podcast. This is Patty, a leadership and work-life balance coach from Arizona, USA. And this is Angela, love and relationship coach from Sydney, Australia. And we are building better relationships with you. Sharing new perspectives on being heart-centered at home and at work. So you can draw on your inner power to make your relationships and the world a better place to be around. Welcome to Building Better Relationships at Home and at Work with Angela and Patty podcast. This is season three, episode 68, Falling from Grace and Coming Back Stronger. In this podcast episode, Angela will be sharing her journey of what happened in June 2022 to Angela that took her off doing the podcast. Angela, how are you doing? And can you tell the listeners your journey after June 2022 and the change of circumstances that started you on the path from falling from grace and coming back stronger. Hi, Patty, and hi, everyone listening. Yes, I am much better, but I had another little uh, surprise illness in June 2022, almost three years to the day of uh, my first procedure that started finding out about cancer. So if you have been a follower of the podcast, you might remember from our podcast episodes 12 and 13, I described what happened to me when I was diagnosed with cancer in 2019. 
And this year in June, I, on the 25th of June, which was three years to the day from my first hysteroscopy that I got diagnosed with ovarian and uterine cancer, for three years to the day of that procedure, I had a collapse, which could have been a few things. It looked like to my partner who was trying to hold me up, it looked like a stroke. I wasn't able to speak. I was talking with a slurring voice. I couldn't use my arms. So I remember in the morning trying to brush my teeth and the toothbrush was going everywhere. And at one point I tried to go to the bathroom, but I actually couldn't stand up and my, my partner caught me. And he was freaking out. <laughs> I laugh now, but it, he was not laughing for that period because he watched me go through cancer. Yeah, that was scary. It was terrifying for him. I remember his face, actually. He was looking at me as if something dangerous had happened. And he, from his reaction, was saying, do you want me to drive you to hospital? And I thought, yes, I could do that, but I was terrified of going back to emergency. And then he, in his terror, he said, I'm just going to call an ambulance now, which was great because it could have been a stroke. We did not know at all what it was. And fortuitously, the ambulance came very fast. For, for some parts of the world, including Australia, that's not been happening for some people. I don't know if you've heard, Patty, but some people have not been able to get an ambulance. Oh, coming. I didn't know that. Yeah, because of the medical system being under stress. I've heard it in different oh. parts of Australia. And I know in different parts of the world there's been problems getting an ambulance. But we were very lucky. Um, in my hospital stay, I heard from people who weren't as lucky as myself. We got an ambulance and it was the middle of the morning on a Saturday. So I did the big, they picked me up and carted me down the stairs in a chair. And I went through the whole week of not knowing really what I had. They tested me for everything. They thought it was a stroke. They thought it was the cancer coming back, which I knew it wasn't. And then finally, I got put into the neurological ward because they realised it might be a very rare disease called um, Guillain-Barre syndrome. But because it's so rare, in Australia it's one in a million at any time in the population and we only have 26 million people in the whole country and 10 million in the state where I am. So there were very few people experiencing that. And they determined it was a probably Elaine Barre, but they didn't have the final blood test results until I left hospital three weeks later. But here I was again, um, unable to walk, just like I had been during the cancer, unable to see because I then got uh, blurred vision. My eyes went across each other because the nervous system had been impacted by the immune system reacting to a virus. It wasn't COVID. We don't know what this virus was that attacked me. But my immune system, because I had immunotherapy from cancer, was overactive perhaps. We don't know, but we think so. And it attacked my nerves and destroyed the myelin sheath around the nerves, which then stopped my brain being able to communicate to the body how to walk, 
how to talk and how to swallow for a period. I couldn't swallow. And I was talking in a very strange, slow manner, which if you're Australian, I call it bogan. I was talking like a bogan. Well, re remember when you uh, you actually talked to me? Yes. Yeah. And I just remember when I got off got off our conversation I just started crying because I didn't know what was going on and that that was scary that was really scary because you were slurring your words at that point in time that was right right after it happened <clears throat> yeah yeah I just remember that how scared yeah. it was for you yeah and I couldn't touch the phone but I remember thinking of you and I thought I have to tell Patty and then you were able to contact Cheryl because I was scheduled to teach right, right. the World Coach Institute school but you were able to help me uh, reach out to people because even just trying to touch my phone was a nightmare because my fingers weren't able to my brain couldn't communicate to the, the digits of my fingers and I couldn't even touch the phone properly and um, I remember but, you told me you couldn't even see. No, <laughs> you, but I was able, yeah. able to call you, which was actually a miracle in itself. Um, and I was able to, my brain function was still working. I was very clear it wasn't cancer. I knew that intuitively. And I was able to think, oh, gosh, I'm supposed to turn up to work. Maybe Patty can help me. So yeah. I was able to call you on messenger i think i used right. right you called me on messenger on facebook and That's that was right. how we were able to communicate and um then i contacted cheryl that's right wow so angela how how much time did it take for you to get back to where your words weren't slurring and you could see again I think the vision was still double vision right up until I left hospital three weeks, maybe 20, 23 days later. I think I left on a Tuesday, so it was 23 days later. I still had a slight double vision, but the eyes were able to really uh, work that little bit extra to get the, the vision back. And the slurred speech was pretty much two weeks to rectify. I think two weeks, a bit more than that. It's all a bit of a blur. And I was talking a lot. So the funny thing this time, unlike when I had cancer, I, could, I couldn't speak back then. But I had slurred speech this time and I had a great room of different neurological diseases, all these women with the most fascinating different neurological diseases and they were all talkers so we had a great room where I could practice talking so I think that had a large impact on my ability to regain the speech so unlike the cancer this time I had a very speedy recuperation of my faculties um, the the main thing now is fatigue because it was a shock to the nervous system on top of, I just before that, just really had started to get some physical vitality back after the cancer and 
the quite serious um, trauma that my body went through. And I just got back a lot of my chi, my life force, but then this one really just sort of shocked the nervous system. And that's the ongoing uh, recovery I'm still experiencing, like my energy levels sometimes are low mm -hmm. and then there's not that reserve Whereas I had before I got the Ghislaine Barre, I built up really good reserves after the cancer. But now I go for my reserve energy and I'm like, oh, there's nothing there. I think I better sit down and not do anything. <laughs> well, remember when we recorded with Cami and you had said to me you weren't feeling well. And then a couple oh, days yeah. later is when this all happened. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you said to me that that evening, my evening, your morning, I think, or the opposite. Um, you said, you know, Patty, I'm not, I'm not really feeling well. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I said, you still want to record? And you said, yes, but I could tell you weren't feeling well that, that day. And I think it was two, two days later when yeah. it happened. And that's a funny, for any of you out there wondering um some of the early symptoms i had were tingling or uh, pins and needles numbness in the digits the distal points of the fingers and the toes not so much the feet but the toes the end of the feet and that took quite a long time to really regain back that took at least three four weeks to to not have tingling in my fingers so the nervous system from the feet up to the eyes um the things that I got back first were the feet and the fingers and the eyes were the last because it actually attacked my brainstem. My immune system attacked the nervous system of the brainstem and the things that they recuperated first were the things furthest away, further away from the brainstem started to recuperate or rebuild back. So the symptoms were a loss of balance. I'd stand up from my chair and I'd, just sort of fall, which being a dancer, I could have recovered easily, but that's not normal. <laughs> if you stand up and you sort of fall, that's one of the symptoms of early, early symptoms. And the hospital doctors told me I was actually quite lucky. It seemed to be an on a short onset of my symptoms, because if it was longer than that week where I told you, Patty, I wasn't feeling that great, it could have damaged my nervous system more and my recovery would have been perhaps harder. Um, but within three weeks, they were happy, or about by, by 23 days, they were happy to send me home because I could walk <laughs> and I could uh, see enough. And my fingers started to work better. I did a lot of rehab and uh, repetitive movements to regain the use of my digits and to pick up things and be able to coordinate my my fingers with what I wanted to do and I'm still building muscle strength I'm still because of being sick before and then not having the ability to after the Ghislaine Barre having to then be sedentary and be slow my muscle um, response is not the strongest as it used to be or my ability to turn the lids on jars or to pull even doors sometimes doors mm -hmm. somehow that ability to pull things uh, it's 
not the same as I had before. So there's, there's some noticeable um, diminishing of some faculties that I only realise when I go to do things. Um, but they're, they're saying that the full recovery is possible. It's just a shock can re uh, result in ongoing fatigue for some time. So Angela, how did this change your outlook on life going through this experience? It's uh, interesting to get sick a second time after you've had a major illness. And I've had a few other people in my life that have had this happen. One thing that changed was I think the first time I got cancer, I really, really went into victim mode. And I really thought, why me? How could this happen to me? My family have had so many problems with cancer and now I have to go through it. Oh, poor me. And this time I got a, a, a redo on that. So part of the change was really just going, oh, well, here's another hiccup in my life but I'm definitely not going to do, do the victim mode again. <laughs> so when they were saying in in the hospital that I had cancer, I just straight away my perspective was like, no, I don't. And I just, um, with my slurred speech, I was telling them, you got to get my records from the other hospital. I was being a full bogan. <laughs> we call it in Australia, but I was being really... Not not rude, but very aggressive. Um, so this time I really got more into I'm not taking that BS. I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to my intuition. My intuition says very loud and clear, you don't have cancer. So don't let them tell you anything. You tell them what you want. And it was very interesting this time to be that assertive, the uh, some of the nurses, one of the ones when I was really telling her, this is not good enough, I don't have cancer, you've got to get my records, and I was harassing her about it. She broke down a bit and had to get her supervisor. But it was actually quite good because they did get my records from my cancer from another hospital, and then they were able to help me. Mm -hmm. But instead of being a victim in my illness, by being more assertive and more... I'm not listening to you, I'm listening to my intuition. I was able to um, get the help that I needed very, very quickly. And I really think my recovery, my rehab happened very, very quickly. Um, because unfortunately in hospitals, they have to follow a lot of procedure, which often means they're doing things that are useless. Mm -hmm. And there was one thing that happens on the weekends, you don't have... Some of the medical staff leave so you get stuck with younger doctors that are then forced to do certain protocols and one of my body's habits is a very very low blood pressure i'm chronically low so the nurses would keep me up on friday and saturday nights saying we have to call the doctor we have to do this we have to do that and i, I the second weekend that happened i just lost it and i don't do that so um, it reminds me, Patty, of our first episode, when to say yes and when to say no. Mm -hmm. I 
this time I really learned to say hell no and not be afraid <laughs> of being a bitch or being cranky or just having zero tolerance for young nurses following the protocol. She was trying to do her job, but it was basically keeping me awake while I was in a very stressful situation and trying to sleep. The first week I was so, so tired. The second week I was still really exhausted. And two nights of the weekend, because I had this low blood pressure, the young nurses were keeping me awake, trying to get a doctor. The doctor would wake me up. I was exhausted. So I just lost it. And so one of the things that really changed was having to be the nice person. I think um, one of the hardest things that people with cancer and cancer treatment go through is they're always trying to not be a cranky pants when you're feeling awful. But I, I, was, I was just done. And I think that reminded me of our first episode, when to say yes and when to say no. A lot of what I was struggling with back then was when I had to say no, I was scared of being a bitch or being perceived as being a bitch. Mm-hmm. And this this illness was really good for that. It's, it's not that I don't care if uh, people think I'm a bitch, but I've noticed I don't beat myself up as much if I'm cranky and I just go, well, I don't like that, so I don't like it. And I'm just telling you I don't like that. Yeah. Do you think that with us being coaches and learning that we need to have boundaries and also saying no when we need to say no, do you think that helped give you that inspiration to be able to say, no, I'm not going to take this anymore? I think I've been trying. Uh, The coaching came in my life after I'd done a lot of healing around not being able to say no from Mm -hmm. childhood because I didn't have very good boundaries in childhood around what is appropriate for an adult and what's appropriate for a child. I just was very poor at saying no because I wasn't allowed to. So I'd done a lot of healing. And then coaching had brought in more intellectual and mental strategies about making definite boundaries and really clear boundary verbiage I am going to say no if this situation happens and I practice that with you I practice that with other coaches I practice that through your workbook I practice that with other friends, especially after cancer, because I think after cancer, my brain had really gone to mush. So I had to learn basically phrases to tell people, I can't talk to you right now because I don't know how to function. And I practiced that a lot. Um, So the coaching definitely had helped and the healing was the foundation of that. Mm -hmm. But what was different in this circumstance was just, it was almost like the end of a, very deep, deep, maybe even ancient habit (laughs) of trying to be liked, wanting to be liked by people. And I remember yelling at the nurse in her face. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sweetheart, you're not going to keep me awake this Friday night. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep. 
because you're not going to keep me awake with your stupid protocol that says because you've got low blood pressure. And I had lots of doctors apologising to me. I'm sorry we have to do this. It's our protocol. They, the, the doctors on night duty are students on mm -hmm. the weekends. And they know what it's like when you're in pain or you're in a serious illness that you're trying to recover. But their protocols are counterintuitive. And, I'm yeah, I'm going to be cranky. Take it. And they obviously see a lot of people losing their plot in hospital. Um, so I think the coaching was a very important mental construct to help me understand the importance. But there's nothing like a physical illness that just makes you lose that social habit of thinking you have to keep up appearances. Um, so maybe that that's perhaps what my physical illnesses were. They were the final nail in the coffin of trying to be somebody that's just not really supportive of who I really am mm -hmm. through a lot of conditioning. So what is important in your life now, Angela? And what did you discover after this falling from grace? Um. I think that the learning around being ill is still a really important learning. I've watched a lot of people have illnesses in my life through my parents and other relatives and I've watched myself recover and I got to a point of recovery and then got another illness. And I think... What I've learned and I'm still learning is that there is a lot of importance of what they call like a rebirth in your life. A lot of people can go through a rebirth without physical illness. A divorce is pretty good. <laughs> or uh, any life losing, change. Yeah. 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 Or losing a family member is pretty heavy. But the role of rebirth, especially through the pandemic, we are just at the beginning of this major social rebirth, of a cultural rebirth, of a species rebirth. And I think I, because my cancer happened right before the pandemic started and I, I finished my cancer treatment just as the pandemic lockdown started in Australia, I was going through cancer recovery during the whole pandemic, I, I think we're really learning that rebirth is a necessary part of our time of being alive. Um, for me, it's been very physical. It's been very personal through my own illness journey. And I've been able to see our culture starting to really embrace rebirth. Very terrified, very awkward maybe being cranky, maybe being rude to other people, but how to actually say, this is how I'm feeling and this is what I need, this is what I want. Um, definitely the, the thing I'm learning, Patty, personally, is my energy is not what it was. So how do I use my energy? And I really see a parallel between my personal journey with the global journey. The energy we have on the planet it's not, it's not available forever. 
this planet is a living planet and how do we live with it, not use it or expect it to meet our needs whenever we think it's a good idea, I want to buy this or use that. So understanding what, what energy is has been a large amount of my recovery from the cancer as well as this time. And um, that fall from grace was just those expectations I kept on thinking, oh, well, I've recovered my energy from cancer. Now I can start doing this. Or I started, I noticed that the habit was to bring so many things back into my life that basically weren't perhaps wise uses, uses of my energy. Mm -hmm. And this disease has forced me to say, no, I, I'm not going to do that because it's not the best use of my energy. Or if I feel tired, I might have made an, a, an arrangement with a friend or another person and I have to renegotiate that because I just don't have the energy to do it and to have no worries about it. I think the pandemic has taught us all about that. Things can be cancelled because of other reasons that you don't have control over. And it's learning how to um, go with the flow but also be responsible in that not not abuse that just say oh I don't feel like I'm in the mood for that but to understand what's the underlying energy um, behind things so I've learned not so much to think about the top the surface of things but what what's what does my energy say what's underneath that I'm, I'm a hell of a lot more sensitive I know my partner has told me you I, I might cry more now I might mm -hmm. um I might just be sitting still and feeling emotional for no reason but happens quite significantly now and I I think that's also part of what collectively we're moving through that we're becoming more sensitive to what's actually the energy underneath of our lives instead of just responding reacting to the way we used to live and um, in terms of the strength as well, because the title of this podcast is about coming back stronger, what I've learned about strength in vulnerability, because, of course, when you're in recovery, you are vulnerable. But there's actually, especially through my hospital bed bedroom mates, people I shared the room with, I learned so much about their own journey and um, sharing laughter and and not taking yourself so seriously and not um, not being so worried about where things are going, being more in that moment of the illness or if you're in recovery, being in the moment of that recovery. And then there's a lot of strength in that moment. In In the hospital we were... We shared a lot with each other and uh, there were some emotional moments as well. I remember being very emotional um, because I couldn't see and I couldn't. <laughs> I remember telling my fellow roommates, um, like, I don't know what you look like, but I feel like you're so beautiful. <laughs> oh. As I got my eyesight back, I remember seeing one of my roommates going, oh, you're even more beautiful than I thought. Um, but really feeling connected to people instead of 
feeling my own victimhood, understanding that there is, in, in my very vulnerable disease, there was a lot of humour and a lot of connection with others. I remember one of the cleaners in the room as well. She was amazing. She'd just come in and she'd tell us about what's going on in the ward and we'd have a bit of a bitch about other things in the ward and she told me about a few other previous patients that were real, really struggling, really struggling. And we were all just sort of empathising with those individuals' different very weird neurological conditions because neurological diseases are very strange, mm -hmm. unpredictable and sometimes incurable. So I was meeting people, unlike myself, I can walk, I can move. I, I was meeting people in that hospital that have permanent neurological conditions that are permanently, like many people after COVID, dealing with fatigue, dealing with un being unable to work. And I learned that um, even though those people face daily challenges, their their attitude to life is not about that it's about what can I do what do I want to do um, what do I have to offer if I'm in this state and being okay with being dysfunctional there was a lot of people with those neurological conditions that have to accept that sometimes they can't function which I think we're still not really quite embracing with the COVID pandemic we're still very upset about being dysfunctional in our society, which is important because you have to work out how to make things more functional. You have to see where the problem is if you're going to fix it. Unfortunately, though, Patty, I do see the hospital systems not getting a lot of support, and I think they're going to be more chaos. Um, but certainly my, my support staff in the hospital really showed me, as they did in the cancer, journey I had that the people ha who are there to help us are incredible they've, they've come to help they taught me more about um, being available to help people anything that I'm doing it doesn't matter what what's going on in my life if there's someone struggling next to me maybe I can help them and you don't have to bend over backwards you just have to have a chat ask them how they're going, see how how they're feeling. Some of the best times in hospital that I had this time were just asking people how they're feeling and listening to what they're experiencing. And that, and that include, you know, the nursing staff or the cleaning staff, not that the nursing staff had much time. Yeah. They were very but we had, we had really a lot of... Um, laughter and connection this time and I found that moment of um, being present with people was very um, it shifted my sense of time so now sometimes when I'm with people I it's like time flies by very very quickly or one little thing that I'm experiencing with that person can very rapidly expand and it feels very enormous mm -hmm. but it's just a short period of time I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that but I've discovered things through the illness that have changed my perception of time itself and how we give value to time and the meaning that we give to our relationships it's funny how 
tragedy can really change you in different ways to really want to you look at things differently and more loving more considerate more humble the ego kind of goes out the door <laughs> you start realizing life is precious and so are family and friends yes and um after that time i've had some more family and friends uh, reaching out and i don't have the same energy to do what i used to do i'm because i've had friends who were 20 30 years older than me i know what that's like as they age they've got aging parents or aging family members or friends that they want to help but they can't because they're dealing with their own sickness right and I noticed that's a really interesting phenomena when people are more challenged with illness, they can't support in the same way that they would like to. So I think we need to also explore moving forward as a community, how to support each other energetically just with our thoughts. I've been doing prayer work significantly mm -hmm. since I had cancer and when I had cancer, I think the prayer work was the only thing that got me through. I had all sorts of people praying for me, strangers praying for me. My partner would meet strangers in the street and they'd pray for me. And uh, I think that's what, by and large, got me through um, that cancer, as well as the medical team and, and my own guides and spiritual support. And I noticed um, this time that instead of being in hospital, um, my background is energy healing, but I didn't do that. I didn't send energy or do that. All I did was send a prayer. Oh, please help that person. Thank you for giving them strength. or Thank you for taking their pain away. Or thank you for being with them right now. And it became this constant habit I had uh, instead of, my old habit of maybe doing a bit more energy work or sending healing it was simple 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 prayers that would just be there to help the nurse help that person mm -hmm. and that was a big step for me too because I think empaths and energy healers were very big victims of trying to be everybody's support person when actually that's not necessarily the best use right of our energy. Yeah, because praying is such a blessing to people. And when you're doing your energy work, you're you're also taking this part of your energy as well, which you need to conserve for yourself to heal. But being able to pray for somebody you're letting God be the the person to to do it. Yeah, it, it's something I can ask you to, Patty, about the Reiki as well. Um, since since the Galen Barre and my recovery, it 
I've been doing more hands-on healing at home with my partner um, and also when I was teaching the dance. And that's been very different, uh, the healing itself, because I'm not trying to help the person or fix or rescue. I'm really, really, um, I'm just putting my hands and allowing the person to feel them themselves. Mm-hmm. And of course, I always ask the divine to come in. But I really have taken Angela out of the equation and I let my hand do the walking or the, it goes where it's meant to go. Where it's needed, yeah. yeah. And you're letting the divine or God work through you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the and universal life force whatever you call that whatever you call that light that um it's hard to put words to it sometimes i mean i call it the divine i call it god <laughs> god and if if you do energy work um some people especially with the movement of the body the chi um, but what's happened when I started teaching the dance, it was part of my recovery to teach dance again. It was one thing that I could focus on. And that was something that we talked about too. You said, I want to focus on my dance. Uh, dance heals me. Dance revives me. It gives me energy, all of those things. And dance is very important to your life. And it also helps others. Yeah, and it's become the center of my purpose, really. So in future, I'll be talking more in my other work on my YouTube channel about that dance and how it helps us to love Mm -hmm. and how does dance um, make sense of love or bring us to greater abilities to love because love is not a concept and it was only through the dance that I discovered what I call the divine I literally had had divine experiences from very early on in childhood but being a kid you don't you don't try to make it give meaning um however when I was young I did dream of people dancing together in these times I remember having future visions of these times and people of all ages, races, all different walks of life would come together and dance. And that that's what I've been dreaming of since I was a child. So now when I do that connection in the dance, um, the feeling of the energy is different. It's very Um, the feeling of the energy in my own body is different it's very quiet and it's very subtle and soft whereas um, before when I used to do energy work there there was a lot more going on in my mind there was more technique Mm -hmm. I've done a various range of different uh, healing techniques but now it's it's very very quiet and very still and also very um, gentle. So I discovered after the Ghislaine Barre a different way of feeling 
the healing work through my hands and also applying that to the dance workshops and sharing that with others, helping others to feel that divine energy within themselves. And I'll be talking more about that moving forward, but it's been very um, interesting in my recovery to discover that as my true nature. I think as a coach, you start to label yourself or position yourself. And then essentially when I get back to the dance, that's who I am. There's no labels. That's It's just when I'm in the dance, there I am. And then the universe comes in and shares its energy through through me, through the dance, through through listening to others and feeling others. It's been very beautiful, actually, the recovery process. And when you dance, are you you do you feel like you're connecting to the divine, to God, when you're dancing? You can feel that connection. Yeah, if I could describe it, it feels like life, loving life, mm -hmm. life falling in love with itself over and over and over again. You know that feeling when you first fall in love? Mm -hmm. It's like that all the time on repeat and there's this joy of how wonderful and beautiful and uplifting life itself is. I know I haven't had a baby from my body, but I know mothers who hold a child, that feeling of wonder that there's this beautiful life that's how I feel in the dance that there's this celebration of of our own gift of life mm -hmm. and this body that carries the life so it's quite funny I've had two illnesses or some people might not think it's funny including my partner but it's quite funny for me that I've had two illnesses that took away my ability to dance and walk and laid me flat on my back um, and then I had to learn to walk again because that's a celebration of just this body's ability to carry life. And even if I was in a chair, I think I would discover dance as another way to feel um, that energy. But sometimes, Patty, I may not be moving my body very dramatically, but I'll be feeling that feeling of the love mm -hmm. of life. And it can be very soft or very still. Uh, and the hands, a lot of the Sufi movement that I was using is very much upper body that we were focusing on. So it was feeling that connection of the heart with the hand. And a lot of cultural dance celebrates that. So definitely it's God moving through us that the dance really helps me connect to I really really um, know it when I'm when I'm teaching the dance but the other thing that I find really funny is that um, when I was teaching this year in Sydney seeing other people recognize it mm -hmm. when they're doing the class and they actually recognize the divine in themselves and there's this little like, oh, that's there. 
in me. <laughs> so that's my mission, just to tell people, yeah, that's there. That's that's God in you and it's alive and it's living and it's fantastic and recognize it and celebrate it. And, yeah, that's that's been the best thing about the classes that I've been able to share. Well, that was beautiful, Angela. Thanks, Patty. Is there anything else that you wanted to share through your journey of what's transpired in the last six months? I guess I wanted to finish with a um, an interesting point of the podcast is building better relationships at home and at work and how myself and Patty, I believe, maybe you can talk on it too, Patty, we both learn about ourselves through the podcast. Um, and then we created the Building Better Relationships journal and meditation because we were learning about ourselves during the podcast. And it's been a very important part of my journey to learn who I was 2018, we started mm -hmm. our podcast. Then when I got cancer, we stopped because <laughs> I couldn't function. And I was in hospital at that time and I said I was hallucinating a lot on a lot of drugs and a lot of cancer that was growing exponentially. And I thought, I must talk to Patty. We've got to do this podcast. And I didn't know why. Um, but it's it's very interesting that after I got out of hospital we started again with that mission to really get people to focus on themselves and building a better relationship with yourself that's what the journal is about and the meditation that we created is to really focus on the love what I was describing earlier in the dance what what is that for you what do you see that you want in in your relationships because you and I, Patty, know that if you don't focus on what you want, you'll never get that in your life. You'll just keep repeating the habits of the past or your ancestors or your upbringing or whatever habits you've got. Right. So, and so much of, of that has shaped us in our life. And breaking some of those cycles is so important. We all have things that we learned that aren't good, that need to be reshaped and let go of, and learning how to be better with our relationships, because some of the things that we learned in our past weren't always the best way to handle things in relationships. That became that was a habit. Yeah. Life lessons. I mean, yeah. all of us have had life lessons and thought, oh, if I could go back and change that, I definitely would. I mean, at least I do. <laughs> I'm a totally different person than I was in my 20s, my 30s, and my 40s. Now that I'm in my 50s, I've grown in different ways and I've changed in different ways. 
and you learn from all your different relationships that you have, how, how you behaved in those relationships and how others behaved and learning to reflect back on yourself and saying, okay, if I had to do this all over again, how would I handle it? Would I handle it differently? And then if, if not, the cycle continues. <laughs> so it's thinking, how can I handle things differently? And how can I make my relationships better? And it's not always the other person. It's actually you. You inside, how you react, how. And sometimes you need to react in a harsh way to get your point across too. Mm -hmm. It's a balance, it's a dance. And you have to, and what type of people do you want in your life? Yeah. You want, you want people that love you and care for you and respect you and lift you up and inspire you. And sometimes you have to break relationships that don't inspire you, that are that criticize you, put you down, don't lift you up. And there's a lot of choices to make in life. If you want to have a better relation, if you want to have better relationships, how can I do that? And with the journal and the meditation, it helps you determine what you want. Do I want these? What kind of relationships do I want? Do I want to stay in the cycle? Or do I want something different? And if I want something different, how am I going to get there? And Angela and I both knew that building better relationships was so important. I wish that I had a coach in my 20s, my 30s, and my 40s. But I didn't, so I had life lessons. And coaching changed my life, changed my perspective. Angela has changed me also with our relationship as friends. And this podcast has changed my life in so many different ways too. And I hope that it helps our listeners and changes their lives for the better as well in their relationships with themselves, whether at work, whether at home, whether they're at the grocery store, you never know who you're going to meet, right? <laughs> and how you learn to love yourself and love others. That's, that's the most important thing. Angela, thank you so much for sharing this with us. Uh, it's so important to hear about these type of things because going through struggles and sharing those struggles is so important for people because we all struggle. You never know what somebody's struggling with through life. A lot of people keep it, keep it hidden and you don't know what they're going through. And just one nice word can change somebody's day. Well, thanks, Patty, for giving me the opportunity to 
to catch up with what happened six months ago. Yeah. And this is going to go out for January 2023. So for those listening in the new year, I'm wishing you and Patty, you can share your wishes for the others. Um, I'm wishing that we really embrace, like you were saying, Patty, about if we are going to love ourselves, that we really embrace how to accept ourselves, how to accept each other. And it doesn't have to look any way, any particular way. You don't need any gurus to tell you how it looks, but just give yourself an opportunity. I was flattening my back in hospital. That was my opportunity, uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. It could be something else for you. Give yourself a space to just accept yourself. And maybe if you've got the opportunity to do that for someone else as well, that's what I, I wish for you in 2023. Well, I wish peace, happiness, balance, of course. <laughs> And just remember, we all make mistakes. And as long as you learn from your mistakes and you learn from those life lessons, life is good. And being there in your relationships and being a kind person and inspiring to others, you will get that back how you treat people, you will get that back. And you find the right people that inspire you and love you because that's so important. Well, thank you for joining us on this podcast episode. Please share the podcast if you enjoyed it and you think somebody else could use hearing it. Thank you for listening to Building Better Relationships with Angela and Patty. Send us a message and please like or share the podcast or donate with the Anchor Donate button. We really value your feedback.